0: bienvenue. Hello and welcome to City Breaks Paris, Episode 9, Impressionist Paris. Secretly, I think everybody's view of Paris is slightly muddled up with what they know about the Impressionists. Indeed, the author Stephen Clarke said in his book Paris Revealed that, quote, visiting Paris without seeing some pictures by the Impressionists would be a bit like missing out on croissant. So here it is then, an episode devoted to that little group of painters who lived mainly in Paris, often painted Paris, and whose images are, for many of us, Paris itself. A little bit of history then, how the movement started, some definitions, what actually was Impressionism, what made their work different from all of that which came before, and then a focus on three places in the city to visit if you want to learn a lot more about the Impressionists and, most importantly, see lots and lots of their lovely work. And those three places would be the Musée Marmotton, the Orangerie and the Musée d'Orsay. And I'll be talking a little bit about the painters whose work you can see there and focusing particularly on just a few of the very many paintings which are very well known, the ones that many people go especially to see. So we need to go back to the middle of the 19th century to see where it began, an era when it was still the classic style of painting that was being shown at the Louvre And promoted by the Paris establishment. There was, for example, something called the Academie des Beaux Arts, the Academy of Fine Arts, which had existed since the time of Louis the Fifteenth, and which took upon itself the role of choosing every year pictures which it would like to exhibit at the Louvre. Having your picture chosen was a great career boost. Being rejected meant that you really hadn't made it quite yet, so it was very important. In 1863, there was a group of artists, all of whom had had work rejected, who got together and decided they would exhibit their work anyway in something called the Salon des Refusés, so the Salon for those who had been refused. And in the catalogues to that exhibition, you can find many early works by the painters who went on to become very well known indeed. The exhibition didn't actually go down all that well at the time. Many critics called the paintings things like Quote, sad and grotesque, but it did get them known and able to start, at least in a small way, their painting careers. The movement itself got its name in 1874, when Claude Monet, who liked to paint outside, something that was actually quite unusual in itself, proper artists, in inverted commas, up until that time, had always painted in studios. But Monet liked to go outside, and he produced, as one of many, many of his paintings, a picture of the harbour in Le Havre, a misty scene, cranes and masts can be seen in the background, that itself was quite unusual, artists until that date had not thought that painting machinery would be of any interest, and he painted reflections in the water with a bright orange splodge, representing the sun reflected in the sea, and he called his painting Impression Soleil Levant," an impression of sunrise. This too was very unpopular with critics, Many of them slammed it. One of them wrote a particularly derogatory article criticising it. It was blurred, it lacked detail. These painters, he sniffed, are mere impressionistes. They just give an impression of what they've seen. They don't paint the thing properly. The name stuck, because it was a good one. And in 1876, there was another exhibition. If you're hoping to hear that this was the turning point, I'm afraid, sadly not. On the whole, the critics didn't like these either. Here's one in full flow. The Rue Le Pelletier is a street of disasters. At the Durand-Ruelle Gallery, an exhibition has just opened that is alleged to contain paintings. I entered, and my horrified eyes beheld a terrifying sight. Five or six lunatics, including one woman, have got together to exhibit their work. I have seen people shake with laughter on seeing these pictures, but my heart bled when I saw them. These would-be artists call themselves revolutionaries. They take a piece of canvas, splash on a few random daubs of colour, and then sign it. It's a huge fraud, as if the inmates of a madhouse had picked up stones by the roadside and imagined they had found diamonds. But slowly, slowly, and especially from the dawn of the 20th century, these artists began to gain in popularity. And the rest, of course, is history. So, What is it that these artists had in common? Well, firstly, their subject matter. So they liked to paint outside. Their subject matter was often Parisian, the roads, the bridges, the river, and the people of Paris. And they had a taste for the modern. They began to paint things that no other artist in the previous generation would have found of interest. This is quite nicely explained by Colin Jones in his book Paris Biography of a City. the surprisingly meagre range of painting of Paris, which had preceded them, had focused on urban monuments, the Pont Neuf, Notre-Dame Cathedral, various churches and so on. The Impressionists, in contrast, favoured life on the street. Their elective terrain tended to be the boulevard, the quai, the bois de Boulogne, and the better-off neighbourhoods in the northwest of the city. If they depicted a monument at all, it was most likely to be a railway station, a café, or a Osmanian immeuble de rapport, rather than a cathedral. And Colin Jones goes on to cite as an example a painting called La Place de la Concorde by Degas, in which, yes, he's painting a famous square, but he's not focusing really on the architecture there. The subject of the painting is just a man out for a casual walk, wearing a top hat. So rather than a historical painting, it's just a moment captured. Certainly true that the Impressionist artists favoured Paris as a subject matter, but they did leave Paris. When they did so, however, they tended to go to the places where they themselves spent days or weekends or holidays. So there are pictures of country walks in little towns along the Seine, or perhaps at the seaside, for example at Deauville, bathing, boating, picnicking. Again, everyday moments. So, that's their subject matter, their techniques too, made them different from all the artists who'd come before. I've seen impressionism described as a style in which the artist captures the image of an object as if he'd only just caught a glimpse of it. So their pictures are not big on detail, they give you an impression of the scene. If you get very close to them, they might look a bit messy, but if you step back a bit, adjust your eyes, you'll be looking at what they wanted you to see. They often painted outside, captured nature, mist, fog, sunlight, clouds, water reflections, all these things feature in their pictures. Because they were very aware that these are fleeting moments, these things look different a few minutes later, they made a practice of not doing their paintings in several sessions. No, they like to look at a scene and capture it there and then, finish the whole thing, capturing that moment, those light conditions, the weather exactly as it was at that particular time. Typically, they used feathery splashes of bright colours, and so the paintings often seemed to shimmer. I liked a remark I found on one set of notes, in which it said that, quote, the choppy brushwork will make you wonder if the artist finished the painting in a hurry. But that too was all part of this idea of seizing the moment. The Franco-American writer, Julien Green, who spent most of his life in Paris, had a lot to say on the beauty of the Impressionists. And how they give us a view of Paris that is Paris, but is also more than what's actually just in front of you when you look with your own eyes. What can one say, he wrote, faced with the Tuileries gardens under a Pissarro's April sky, or the Seine embankment in winter beneath a snow-laden sky by Gauguin? As he goes on to say, you're not looking at Paris exactly as it will look if you see it yourself, but somehow at an even more real, truer version of the city. These artists, he said, Quote, Draw the light and the mist and the sky into one or two square meters of canvas and make them live there forever. He writes about the painters, as he puts it, let to loot with their brushes, and talks of how they set up camp stools on the banks of the River Seine, or on corners of streets in Paris, and quote, looked with the eyes of children upon gardens, rain showers, and busy streets, and beneath the great white clouds that traversed their skies from end to end, they restored to us a happy Paris, the city of light. Turning then to places in the city where you can see a good range of Impressionist paintings, I wanted to start not with the best known, the Musée d'Orsay, but instead to go out to the 16th arrondissement, to a smaller but lovely museum known as the Musée marmottan in which you can see a whole range of Impressionist paintings, and particularly the one which started the whole movement off, or gave it its name at least, and that's Monet's Impression Soleil Levant. This building was originally a hunting lodge. It was inherited by an art collector, one Paul Marmottan, in 1883, who, when he died, bequeathed it and all the paintings he'd collected to the Académie des Beaux-Arts. One or two large donations followed from other collectors, and by the middle of the 20th century, this museum housed not just the Sunrise and a lot more Monet paintings, but works by other Impressionist artists, Renoir, Pissarro, Cisley, and Berthe Morisot. So it works very well as an introduction to Impressionism. There are in fact other things there, other 19th century paintings, and upon the top floor, a gorgeous display of illuminated manuscripts, some as old as from the 13th century. But the focus of the building really is on two Impressionist artists, Claude Monet and Berthe Morisot it's said to have the world's largest collection of both their works they have for example all the paintings which claude monet kept for himself and they have a good number of paintings by the only well-known female impressionist artist bert morisot who lived and worked quite near this building and whose grandchildren bequeathed all the paintings which they owned to the museum to start then with claude monet it's quite worth quoting nancy nunhead who wrote a book about the artist and the opening lines read, The paintings of Claude Monet are the most popular in the Western world. Perhaps some people would quibble with that, but it's pretty accurate, I think. He's certainly right up there in the top few. He was originally a Parisian, but he spent his childhood in Normandy, where he began to show some talent for art, and made a little bit of money selling caricatures of locals. Result, he came back to Paris in 1859 to go to art school. He began to mix with other artists. He knew Renoir, for example, and Alfred Sisley. And he it was who was in that little group who joined the Salon des Refusés, the Salon for artists who had been refused by the Académie des Beaux-Arts. In fact, it was two paintings by his contemporary Edouard Manet which attracted the most attention from this exhibition because they were seen to be utterly scandalous. More about that in a minute. But it did give Manet a chance to be seen and for Parisians to get a look at his work. A few years after that, in 1870, he moved to London, where he did many of his very well-known paintings of the River Thames, the views of Westminster. I think he did over a hundred of those, capturing the hazy atmosphere of smoky London, and often painting at sunrise or sunset. After a few years, he returned to France and settled at Argenteuil, which is a little town a few miles out of Paris, on the banks of the Seine, he was beginning to sell his paintings now, and a long career stretched ahead of him. He was painting lots of domestic scenes of his home, his garden, walks along the riverbank on the Seine. In 1873, he managed to sell the painting Soleil Le Vent for 800 francs, so it was becoming possible for him to live from his work. Twenty years later, he was still flourishing. That's the period in the 1890s when he bought his house at Giverny, where he created the garden the lily pond, the scene which became a major focus of his work. Another aspect was his long running series of Rouen Cathedral, which he liked to paint in all different lights and weather conditions and at different times of day. He was really quite transfixed with this idea of how different it could look, and this really emphasises the idea that technique was just as important, perhaps more important to him, than actual subject matter. Late in his career, in 1914, Started the water lily series, the enormous canvases which he painted, as he himself said, in celebration of peace. Something, of course, much needed in nineteen fourteen. He left these paintings to the French nation. Come back to those in a minute because they are not here. But paintings that you can see here at the Musee Marmaton include the Impression Soleil Levant, Le the painting of Le Havre with its little boats and its sea and its sky. and It's rather surprising, for the time at least, industrial backdrop, and its rising sun. Stephen Clarke, in Paris Revealed, wrote a brilliant sentence about this painting, which I really enjoy, and which reads like this. It's still a startling picture, with its bright orange blob of sun, that looks as if Marilyn Monroe had tried some lipstick, decided it was too bright, and stubbed it out on the canvas. Among the many other paintings here, you'll see quite a few of the Water Lily series, Glorious colours on large-sized canvases, pictures painted at Giverny of the Pont Japonais, the Japanese bridge, and of bits of his garden, ones entitled, for example, Maison Vue de l'Allée aux Roses, House Seen from the Rose Alley. There are a number of his Rouen Cathedral pictures here too. One, for example, has the title Cathédrale de Rouen, Effet de Soleil, Fin de Journée. So, effects of the sun, taken at the end of the day so very precise timing. Monet's reminding us that that cathedral, or that view of the cathedral, would have looked a little different an hour earlier or an hour later. There's a picture entitled Promenade Pré d'Argenteuil, so a walk taken near Argenteuil, six miles or so out of the city centre, simply three figures walking along in a flower meadow. There's also a picture recalling some of their days out at the seaside, and this one's called sur la plage à Trouville, so a day out at the Normandy coast. And the second Impressionist painter who features here majorly is Berthe Morisot, the only well-known female Impressionist artist. There are about 25 of her paintings here and a lot more watercolours and drawings. Alongside that, there are paintings and drawings which she owned, some of which are by Monet and Degas and Renoir, and there's also a painting of her by the artist Edouard Manet, who in fact was her brother-in-law. Berthe Morisot was also Parisian, born in 1841, and, as a child, very fond of drawing. One of the things she liked best was to be taken to the Louvre to copy paintings. So gradually she got to know other artists in the city, including the painter Edouard Manet, and she married his brother Eugène. She had her first big artistic success in 1864, when she had two landscape paintings accepted at the Salon, which would therefore be exhibited at the Louvre. Her subject matter is often quite domestic, family members, children, paintings of her daughter Julie, for example, or of her daughter's friends. But she liked to go outside too, she painted boating scenes and garden scenes. Other people praised what they called the feminine charm of her pictures. I don't know if she was very fond of that notion, actually, because she said Quote, I don't think there has ever been a man who treated a woman as an equal and that's all I would have asked for, for I know I'm worth as much as they. It's certainly true that she doesn't have quite the reputation of the big male Impressionist artists, so judge for yourself, have a look at her paintings and see, do you think that she deserved that? There's certainly some lovely works here, you can see for example a painting that she did which is entitled Eugène Manet et sa fille dans le Jardin de Bougival. So that, of course, is a picture of her husband and his daughter, her daughter, Julie. There's another lovely painting called Le Cerisier, The Cherry Tree, which is a garden scene and shows two young girls, one of whom's up a ladder, picking said cherries. There's a little scene inside the house called Enfant à la Vasque, showing her daughter and a friend. I think the other girl is the maid's daughter and the two of them are playing with a large bowl of water which has been set up for them in a kitchen. So there you have it then, the Musée Marmottant, definitely, definitely worth a visit. The second place, which is much smaller but very handy to get to, being just at one end of the Jardin des Tuileries, is the Orangerie. The main exhibit in there is eight of Manet's huge water lily canvases, paintings which he dedicated to the idea of peace, and which he painted actually during World War I, and which he left France in his will. They are certainly the most memorable thing that you'll see if you go to the Orangerie, but there is quite a large collection of paintings by other Impressionist artists, Cézanne Renoir, for example, and definitely worth a look. It's only a stone's throw, too, from the Musée d'Orsay, where, if you're interested in Impressionist paintings, I guess you're almost certainly going, perhaps for a second, third or nth visit because it really is the Impressionist museum in the world, I would say, really. It's got more than 5,000 paintings and offers, as its own guidebook tells us, an extensive overview of the history of painting from 1848 to 1914. So it takes over from the Louvre, really, which has classical era paintings, starts when the new movement began, and it ends in 1914, because paintings painted much after that, Are to be seen in the modern art museums of Paris, the Pompidou Centre, or the Museum of Modern Art. The building itself is worth a mention. It was originally a stylish train station built for the Exposition Universelle in 1900. So the world was coming to Paris and lots of them were going to come by train. A new Art Deco state of the art station was required and built here. It was the first station in Paris to have electric tracks so therefore it was a much cleaner station, no soot. It had electric lifts, and it was decorated with sculptures and paintings. Again, its own guidebook tells us that, Once completed, it had the grandeur of the great baths or basilicas of imperial Rome. Functioned as a station until 1939, but it became outdated, was replaced by other bigger, more modern versions in other parts of the city, and fell into disuse. In the 1960s, they were actually talking about demolishing the building, but another project that was just happening at the time, where they destroyed the old central food market part of Paris, Halles, and built what many people thought was a modern monstrosity in its place, made people think, did they really want to get rid of such a lovely building, or could it be repurposed? So it was listed as a protected monument and turned into an art gallery. The refurbishment left the large central space of the station. It left the original archways, the restaurant, the clock. They're all still there. But at the same time, it's a modern new gallery, where you can see, really, the history of Impressionism from start to finish. There is more Monet. His poppies painting, for example, with the lovely title Coquelicot. His painting of La Gare Saint-Lazare. Again, an unusual subject, something that painters before him would never have tackled. But Monet, I think, had read Zola's quote that really painters should be capturing the poetry of trains, and so he decided he would paint the station and a train. He was so keen to get it exactly right that he persuaded the station-master to stop all the trains for a day or two so that he could work there in peace. You'll see more of his Rouen Cathedral series there. Again, with very specific titles. Morning Sun or Grey Weather. There's also at least one more painting by Bert de Morisseau. Perhaps her most famous one, in fact, is called Le Berceau, which means the cradle, and it's a lovely picture of a mother watching her sleeping child. So much then for the two painters who'll be familiar to you if you have already been to the Musée Marmottan. Moving on, there's Edouard Manet, a painter inextricably linked with Impressionism. He threw himself into the new movement. When his art tutor perhaps wasn't quite so keen on some of what he came up with, he retorted apparently, I paint what I see and not what others would like to see. I think most of the impressionist artists would have said that that's what they were trying to do. And two of the most viewed paintings in the entire building are both by Edouard Manet for their own sake and also because it's well known that they both caused an absolute scandal and probably played quite a big role in making the Parisian art viewers sit up and take notice of these new upstarts. So the first of these paintings is called Olympia, and that was controversial really because of its subject matter. It's based on a classical composition, a lady reclining, but the subject in this case is a courtesan, completely naked and just receiving a bouquet of flowers being delivered presumably from one of her admirers. You can imagine what late 19th century Paris made of that. And it was viewed as particularly shocking because this lady is painted just looking straight out at the viewer, something which Parisians would have found utterly shameless. You can perhaps understand that it caused quite an uproar. And the second picture which caused uproar is the one called Le Déjeuner sur Laub, literally, lunch on the grass. Three people in the foreground, one in the background, eating a picnic in a grassy area, surrounded by trees. But the uproar that was caused comes from the fact that while the two men, a couple of dandies really, are nicely dressed, frock coats, top hats, that sort of thing, the lady in the foreground with whom they're sharing their picnic is completely nude. The critics were pretty unanimous that this was indecent, but I think it probably meant that Manet was a name that one didn't forget. Renoir is here too, that very Parisian painter who painted those lovely scenes of little social moments in the city at parties and dances, capturing things really as if they were just happening in front of your eyes. Lively, full of movement, cheerful sort of paintings. There's one called Dance in the City of a Dancing Couple. That's one of a pair, actually. The second one being a much less formal painting called Dance in the Country. Then there's The Swing, which shows a young woman on a garden swing, two young men standing near her in straw hats, an everyday little scene, they're not posing for the artist, they're just captured in this moment that they spent chatting in the garden. In fact, it was painted at his house in Montmartre, 1876, and went down very well with many viewers. The writer Zola, for example, praised it for its, quote, gentle rays of light which illuminate the painting. Also here is perhaps one of Renoir's best-known paintings, entitled the Bal au Moulin de la Galette. The Moulin de la Galette, you might remember from a previous episode, was a little cafe come concert hall come dance hall which was set up in a former windmill in Montmartre, at which the owner's wife served galette biscuits on a Sunday afternoon, as a ploy to attract people to come. As you can see from the painting, it was a scene of lots of cheerfully sociable afternoons. There are couples dancing under a trellis roof, which is hung with lights. There are lots more people sitting about in little groups, chatting, drinking, watching other people. And we're told by a critic at the time that this picture, quote, captures a particular moment of Parisian lifestyle. There are quite a number of paintings by the artist Pissarro, quite different again. Lovely landscapes, village streets, scenes of Paris, the river, the various bridges. For example, a snow scene entitled White Frost. Just a wintry afternoon, a lonely female figure plodding up a snowy street. Poor winter light. A painting that really draws you in and makes you feel that you're there. Though, in fact, it wasn't to everyone's taste. There was one critic who moaned that it was, quote, "'Nothing but an accumulation of paint, "'scraped off the palette and spread onto a dirty canvas. "'It has neither head nor tail, neither top nor bottom, "'neither back nor front.' I think he meant that it wasn't an imposing moment or something very important. But I think Pizzerro's aim probably was to capture that one fleeting moment that would otherwise have been forgotten, but with which lots of us can identify. Then there are a whole series of paintings by Edgar Degas. He had a particular interest in the theatre and in ballet, he used to go behind the scenes at places like the Opéra, watch what was happening, set up his easel and capture the moments. Dancers stretching, dancers at rest. There's one painting called The Dance Class, where you can see an elderly ballet master leaning on a stick, surrounded by lots of dancers, most of them very young, in frothy ballet dresses. Some of them are listening to him. Some of them are busy thinking about other things. It does feel very much unstaged. Another well-known Degas painting is one entitled In a Cafe, although in fact it's got a subtitle which is Absinthe, so the drink absinthe. And this is often cited as an example of the flip side of the Belle Epoque, the people who weren't having a lovely, glamorous, fun time, but were rather down at heel. It's a gloomy, shabby little scene, featuring two people, both of whom, in fact, were quite well known at the time. There's the actress, Elle Andre, and a person called Marcelin Deboutin, described in the book I read as, quote, a well known bohemian. Don't know how you get to be one of those. But they both look, a bit down at heel. They're sitting next to each other, but paying each other no attention. They both seem quite solitary, sort of staring into space, reflective, signs that perhaps they've been a little bit too much on the absinthe, which was a drink very popular in the 1870s when the painting was done, but which was later banned because it had such a ruinous effect on people's health. There are artists who were painting a little later than the main body of Impressionists, for example, Paul Cézanne, who, in fact, had been a big fan of Impressionism. he had seen the paintings in the early days when people weren't taking that much notice of them and apparently said that he hoped, quote, it would become as solid and lasting as museum art. Some of his still lifes are here. Apples and oranges, for example. And several paintings from a series he did of something called Sainte-Victoire, a mountain in Provence where he was born, and of which he did a whole series of paintings, again in different light conditions and at different times of day. It's thought there are over 80 of them in total, and I think perhaps he was taking a leaf from Monet's book and trying to do a similar thing of a very different subject. There's Paul Gauguin too, also born a little bit later than the main Impressionist artists, but who also favoured a bold colour palette, just as they did, and liked to paint contemporary subjects. They tended in fact not to be Parisian because he spent quite a lot of time in Tahiti and painted what he saw. One of his well-known paintings is called Vairumati, dates from 1897, Vairumati being a Tahitian folk legend character. Many of his other pictures are of the girls and women of Tahiti, painted in very bright colours, usually doing daily tasks, preparing food, collecting water. Painted, of course, in very different light conditions bold, bright pictures, which form quite a contrast to the misty scenes of the River Seine on a wintry afternoon, and so on, done by some of his predecessors. And then lastly, a quick mention for Vincent van Gogh, who was also quite influenced by the Impressionists, certainly in his use of very bright colours, his energetic brush strokes, but who also put very much his own stamp on things as well, There's an element of violence, of torment, that you can see in some of his paintings, testament to the fact that he suffered psychotic fits on occasions and was eventually committed to an asylum, where he committed suicide. Here you can see quite a number of his pictures, including a very well-known self-portrait, which he painted, and a picture of his bedroom in Arles. He spent quite a lot of time in the south of France, and a good number of his pictures have Provençal scenes and that much brighter, harsher light that would look wrong on a painting of Paris, but looks just right for sunny southern France. His bedroom scene is simple room, wooden bed and chairs, bare wooden floor, splashes of colour in the fabrics, painting that many a student of French will recognise, because it does seem to keep turning up in their textbooks. And perhaps best known of all, his painting Starry Night, which he said himself was, quote, the painting that forever has been on my mind. It shows a view of Arles and the river, painted from above, mainly sky and river, but two little figures in the foreground. Quite a simple picture really, just the blues of the river and the dark sky and the yellows of the stars in the sky and reflected in the water. Van Gogh said himself that this was one of his very favourite pictures. It's a marvellous museum, one of the most visited attractions in Paris and really just the place if you want to follow Impressionism from its beginnings, right through the main part of the movement, along to the painters who came afterwards and were very much influenced by it. Definitely a place to visit, I'd say more than once because there's so much to take in, and a place that really sits at the heart of the city and reminds us that Paris is the city of Impressionism. The place where the movement began, the home of most of the artists, the subject matter for many of the works, the inspiration for so many of the iconic images that make all of us think of Paris. Before signing off for this week then, just a quick signal that next week, a new topic altogether, Paris under German occupation, going to look at life in the city at that time and focus on two places you can visit today and learn a lot more about that very key moment in the history of the city, the Musée de la Libération and the Shoah, Paris's Holocaust Museum but for the moment, let me just thank you very much for listening. Merci. Wish you well until next week, la semaine prochaine, and say goodbye. Au revoir.